In the United States, there is one death every 11 minutes by suicide. In Ohio, there are five deaths by suicide every day. In Lucas County, 17% of the youth between 6th and 12th grades have seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, and 10% did attempt suicide. You are listening to the Mental Gains Podcast. I'm co-host Matt Russell. And I'm co-host Verna Mullins. This episode is about suicide. And so if that is triggering for you at all, it's just best for you to skip this episode. First up, we're going to hear an interview with Mark Phillip. Mark is an artist and comedian. He has years of lived experience dealing with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. Later on, we will be consulting with two mental health crisis experts, Jody Chapius and Jen Tucker. If you or someone you love is in need of emergency assistance, please contact the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Call or text 988 or 911. And joining Verna and I in the studio is Mark Phillip. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. First and foremost, Mark is an artist a word artist to be more precise. He uses his words to make people laugh and think. He is a comedian, a writer, a mental health consumer and advocate, a feminist, a cat dad, a boyfriend and a Buddhist. (laughs) Oh yeah, and his nine to five job, he's also an account executive as well. (laughs) Wait, Mark, which one of those are you most proud of? Uh, uh, I liked mental health consumer, I like that one. Because I don't, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> uh, you get services? Yes, yeah, okay. Oh, like, like, I'm, a, like I'm a customer. Yeah. Okay, like yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was interpreting it like a psychic vampire right. sort of thing. Oh, yeah, that does sound yeah, more flattering. Yeah, yeah, like I just suck the, I suck the mental health out of everybody <laughs> when I walk in the room. So he is going to share his mental health and addiction journey with us. Mark, you just had a birthday. I did, yeah. How old are you now? I'm 31. Did you ever imagine that you would have lived this long? I was supposed to die at 25. Okay. That was the plan. Didn't work out, but that was the plan. Okay. So, no. (laughs) Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Or do you want to tell us a little bit about your story that led up to that? Um, I I don't know. Which would... They're kind of the same story, aren't they? How long were you having these suicidal thoughts before you attempted... My first attempt was when I was 11 years old, probably starting around when I was eight or nine. I've gone through about 12 over the course of my life, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but probably about about eight years old, eight or nine. Can you tell us, Mark, uh, specifically with this last attempt, when you were 25, what was happening leading up to that? I was going to uh, record a comedy album, and uh, that one came out and that one got released and then I was going to uh I was going to shoot myself right after that that was the idea and um what had happened what had went wrong was that I was unable to afford a gun at the time so I ended up uh stealing medicine out of the medicine cabinet in the house that I lived in I don't know whose medicine it was I don't know what the medicine was um but I tried uh, I tried desperately to swallow it all, but I was too drunk. So I was, uh, in a way, saved by my own uh, addiction there at the very end. Um, 
And what had led to that was probably about, I want to say maybe maybe six years of uh, uh, getting as high and as drunk as I possibly could every single day um, uh, until until I intentionally pushed everybody in my in my circle away from me to make myself as unlikable as possible uh, so that I would be able to uh, have an easier time trying to kill myself. Why didn't you get help? Leading up to it? Yeah, did you tell anyone that I didn't you were tell. suicidal? I think, I think I was very boisterous about being suicidal. You know, when you do, when you do comedy, and you intentionally draw that line between what's real and what's a joke. You do that for long enough, and then it, it becomes kind of a cry wolf sort of situation with the people in your life. Especially when, like, I do, I do very dark material. I did then, and I still do it now. Um, to the point where when I would make, like, very legitimate comments about wanting to die and seeking ways to die... Uh, it was either on stage as part of the act, um, but still very much a real feeling, uh, or it was off stage in in a uh, personal environment where uh, where it was just taken as as goofing around. Um, on the occasions that people did call me out and ask me if I was being serious about it, I would deflect and I would say, uh, "No, I'm joking." <laughs> Because uh, the only thing scarier than than uh, than being alive was people trying to stop me from dying, and uh, so yes, I told everybody, uh, but no, I didn't really tell anybody either. Looking back, what do you think could have prevented you from attempting suicide? Any of those times? Wow, uh, the tools necessary to to regulate my emotions. Uh, you know, I, I, I come from the sort of background where we didn't have health insurance. We didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't, it was a very religious environment where mental health was kind of a pray about it sort of situation. So I, I, there was, there were a lot of opportunities in there for uh, the people around me to, you know, potentially set me on the right path. And for one reason or another, because of the, own, the things that they were dealing with, they weren't able to provide me with that either. So it wasn't until I hit a point in my, in my uh, mid-20s after my brain had stopped developing that I uh, was smart enough to realize that I wasn't very smart at all. If you ever get in another dark spot where you feel really suicidal, what are you going to do different this time? Uh, I actually have a system now. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, I, I have a little little internal... Uh, a little internal meter, you could say, and when I'm when I'm tipping in a certain direction, I make it a point to tell the people that are closest to me to keep an eye on me and to check in with me. When you when you let people love you the way that they actually love you, it's kind of hard not to not to let that affect you. When when you don't run away from it specifically, and if you don't have anybody that can do that, if you let yourself love yourself, I think it's a lot easier to get back to zero.
Had you accomplished your suicide when you were 25, what wouldn't you have gotten to do or what wouldn't you have accomplished in these last six years? Oh my God, everything. I, uh, I got sober. I lost 100 pounds. I uh, put on 20 more pounds, but it was all muscle. Not bragging. Um, <laughs> I have released several more comedy albums that are way better than the one that I recorded when I was drunk and about to die. I've made much better friends. I have, uh, I have almost paid off all the debt that I made while I was drinking. Uh, I'm going to be paid off completely by January. Uh, I've written poems. I, I got treatment for asthma so I can breathe clearly for the first time in my entire life. I, uh, I go on several mile-long bike rides. I have generally just had a much better time than I'd ever imagined that I would. And uh, uh, I wouldn't, even, even though bad things happened, of course, in that interim since then, uh, you know, like when my mom passed away or when my dad passed away, at no point did I ever crawl back into that same spot that I was in when I was 25. Speaking of when you were 25, to go back six years, like what got you started with the heavy drinking? Was it being a comic on stage every night? Was it the, the tough childhood, a combination? Uh, the drinking problem only happened because when you get started in comedy, uh, half of the places you go pay you in drink tickets. So it started to turn into, uh, you know, I would take uh, I would take those drink tickets. I would get two drinks, and then I would just perform. And then I noticed that as I was uh, performing with two drinks in me, it was a lot easier to deal with that. The stage fright went away. The ambition, the uh, inhibitions were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 Dada esque flow of the stream of consciousness was a lot more loose and nimble, and I could. I could dig around a little bit more in 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 what I was trying to what, what I was trying to do and the messages I was trying to convey. I was able to dig a little bit deeper because I wasn't able to uh, I wasn't I wasn't so afraid anymore. And the more alcohol there was in me, the easier it was to do that. And when you become a stand-up comic, when you're like maybe a year and a half, two years in, that suddenly becomes a big portion of your identity. Mm-hmm. And as a big portion of your identity, you want to feed that. So, you know, it, it, that portion of your identity becomes codependent on your, uh, on your addiction. You hear that story so often in alcoholics and addicts, and I, I'm in recovery, and so I'm speaking from firsthand knowledge here, is that it, it comes from a place of being so uncomfortable in your own skin for your whole life. And then when you have that alcohol hit your bloodstream, you get that sense of, oh my gosh, this makes it so much easier to be me. I feel comfortable being me. Even right now, I'm not really comfortable, but I'm, mm. I'm, I'm okay with being uncomfortable now, I think is the difference. Sure. Uh, I was always fighting against it for a very long time, but over the last couple of years, I've gotten a lot better at uh, allowing myself to be difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, You get comfortable with being uncomfortable. No, <laughs> that's not what I said. No, absolutely not. It's more acceptance. It's acceptance of yeah. discomfort. Mm, yeah, okay. I'm not comfortable being uncomfortable. I, <laughs> no. I, but I have to be. Mm-hmm. And if I and if I don't, the option are either I deal with it or I die. Mm-hmm. So, as far as I'm concerned, that's 
that's it. I have one option. And how long have you been sober now? Do you mind me asking? About five and a half years. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, good for you. And you still perform in these comedy clubs. Yes. Did you have to take a break from that lifestyle to get some sobriety under your belt before going back out? I wish I had. Mm. I wish I had because I didn't do that. I was... um, I was living in a house at the time that was like a, it was kind of like a party house. I was either there at a job that I worked, which was a liquor store that I stole from every single day to feed the addiction, mm-hmm. or I was at a comedy club, which was the closest thing that I had to like a social circle. Suddenly quitting everything and then still having to live in those three environments. Uh, I wish I would have taken a break. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I, I kept plowing through it and I just kind of. You were white-knuckling it, as they say, in yeah. some of the, the meeting rooms. Is that what you were doing, white-knuckling yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I had a miserable time for about two and a half years straight, I want to say, mm-hmm. because I was just too uh, too full of myself to take a break at the mm-hmm. time. So you're currently in therapy. Yeah. Was the suicide attempt the catalyst for the therapy? I I was in therapy before that, and I was lying through my teeth to my therapist. Uh and then she retired, and then I had to get another one. I didn't have to get another one, I guess, but uh, things were starting to go wrong again because I can't really hold myself accountable all the time because I'm not, I'm not built to do that. I need bumpers up for me, or at least I felt, or at least I feel like I do. And um, then I got another one. And then that one also retired. And now I got now I got another new one. This guy's really young, so he's not going anywhere. You hopefully. kept finding therapists who were like sixty four years old. It just like just like. like an old lady who's about to leave. That's my that's my demographic. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're looking for. Yeah. It reminds me of grandma, so I just like you know. Why would you have a, a therapist, um, a counselor and, and lie to him? Because I, I did the same thing. I I think it's Unfortunately, kind of common. But why were you lying to your therapist? Because I wanted to win. Mm. Yeah, I, I wanted to win at therapy. I wanted to. I wanted to go in and prove that I was better than therapy. Uh, it's 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 a you know this the same sort of uh, uh, it's the same sort of narcissism that makes somebody very self-deprecating, like as a comedian could be, or uh, or very very self-loathing as somebody who might kill themselves could be. It's it all it's all stems from a form of narcissism. I would walk into therapy and think that I was smarter than that shrink. And if I could, if I could trick her into saying that I was okay, or maybe even pick up some, some language and some tools from her to use against the people around me, that would be a huge win for me. And that was the mindset that I was going in with was I just wanted as much for me out of this as I could possibly get. And then it wasn't until later when I, was told by very by people very close to me that I need to stop that. <laughs> when when you're performing and you're v- being very self-revealing about your past with depression or or addiction, do you ever feel like a burden of having to be an advocate for the mental health community? No. No. Not at all. Yeah. That, and that is my answer. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a perfectly fine answer. Um, I also don't know if I consider myself an advocate for the mental health community in that way. At least not so much that, uh, I don't know, uh, stigma in that way doesn't really register with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame registers with me and guilt registers with me, but stigma doesn't. And I think that goes back to the way that I like attention. 
I think I think when people look at me as a freak show, I that doesn't really bother me as much as I'd rather they look at me as a freak show than not look at me at all. Like no publicity is bad publicity type. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a horrible impulse, but yeah. But I think I think you're cutting yourself way short here. So when you put stuff on social media about your struggles with mental health and addiction and your body image and um you know your issues with therapy and everything, um you're putting yourself out there with your issues to normalize problems that other people have. Yeah. And so that fights stigma. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Good work, Verna. You convinced him. <laughs> you just convinced him to be a mental health advocate. Yeah, you're no, right. You're is. right. You're right. I guess I just I feel um, I just I feel uncomfortable being uh, like uh, like looked at as 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 um, an example. What is some advice that you would give someone else if they were having suicidal thoughts or struggling with mental health issues or substance use? Decide if they want to be that way because that's that's really what truly changes somebody because you can have as many interventions as possible you can have uh as many people that care about you trying to tell you to stop you can have uh epiphany after epiphany after epiphany for as long as you want unless you actually sit down and ask yourself what you want you're not really going to change in any sort of uh in any sort of longevity or or with any sort of proper capacity and sitting down and asking yourself what you want will be the the best way for you to realize that that destructive behavior that you're considering is so far away from what you're actually seeking and that is what's going to be the compass that guides you into into the right path in my opinion what is your favorite thing about being alive Oh my God, uh, my cats. I love my cats. I got two beautiful cats. I got uh, Typhoid, Mary Mallon the cat is her full name. And I got Ichabod, Legacy of Crane, Soul Reaver is his full name. The the cat, I think, when I first got that, that first cat, Typhoid, that's my older one, that's when I decided that I was going to stay alive for as long as I possibly could. Because it wasn't, it's not about like having something to take care of. Because that, that doesn't really appeal to me as a pet. That's actually the most annoying part of having a pet. Because I don't like to water plants. You know, I don't like to keep things alive. That's a burden. It's, uh, it's when, I'm, when I'm sitting down and I'm thinking about everything wrong that I have ever done. And I think about how much I hate myself. And how easy it is to, easy it is to fall into that pit. And, and I keep tumbling deeper and deeper and deeper trying to... Uh, trying to destroy myself with my own thought process. When I'm doing that, Typhoid walks over and hops into my lap and then curls up and goes to sleep. And that's her telling me that I'm safe. There's a, there's a part of me that's safe and there's a part of me that's okay. Mm-hmm. And you know what that is, Mark, right? What's that? It's unconditional love. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that cat's doing. Um, I don't think it's unconditional. No, it is. You sure? It is, yeah. Why she scream for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) She still loves you. Why do you tell jokes? Because at the end of the day, I'm uh, I'm eternally an optimist. I have very utopian beliefs. I'm an idealist to a fault. And when I tell jokes, that's my way, especially about things that are that are heartbreaking or whatever. 
when I tell jokes, that's my way of uh, letting everybody know, despite everything, I'm really happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And when you tell jokes, it's, it's, it's a different form of art. Uh, when you get up on stage, uh, preferably a small stage where you can look everybody in the eye and you tell a joke and everybody in the room erupts into a laughter because they understood you, that's a, that's a, a beautiful moment of connection that can't be replicated anywhere else. And especially if it's... I, I have this one bit where I... Uh, You're going to do it for us? No, no, because okay. I don't have prop here. Okay. I take my mom's ashes out of my pocket, and um, I have like a Ziploc bag that says mom on it, and then uh, I, I end up, at the end of the bit... And, I th- and they're actually her ashes? Yeah, they're actually her ashes. She helped me write this joke before she died. And um, I throw her ashes into the audience, and there's always this like beautiful second and a half while it's flying through the air, when everybody in the crowd has this, like, their eyes get really big and wide, and it's a scream, but a, but a big, powerful, uh, joyous scream with a big smile behind it, because we're all locked into that same intensity of that moment. Like, who's going to catch my mom? And there's... <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a beautiful... That's weirdly nobody's ever gotten mad about that joke, and I think it's because it transcends any any amount of depression, any amount of obscenity, into we have all felt something, we've all felt the same thing at the same time. It's really so beautiful. You wrote that joke with your mom too before she passed. That's that that, that is really special. Well, she never made it to any of my shows when she was alive, so now it, she has to go to all. all the- <laughs> and and. Um, <laughs> It's <laughs> great. And Mark, if our listeners wanted to uh, see you telling your jokes on social media, where where could they find you at? Uh, it's uh, Instagram and Threads. I think is the new Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Mark tells jokes. That's Mark with a K. On Bandcamp, it's Mark tells jokes, and you can get all uh, one, two, three, four of my comedy albums that are out right now. All right. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us in studio today. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. What I think is most amazing about Mark is he's a kind soul. And he has used his life experience and the wisdom that he's learned from it to really connect with people and make them laugh. What would we do without the marks in this world? Here to share their knowledge about suicide and for life-saving resources, we're joined by Jody Chapius. She's the ACT team lead for Unison Health in Wood County, and also Jen Tucker, She's the coordinator of the mobile response team at Unison. Uh, Jody and Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Jody, I'm going to ask you the first question. Sure. Can you tell us some of the warning signs of suicide? So some of the warning signs, and this comes from the National Institute of Mental Health, um, people might start talking about wanting to die, feeling great guilt or shame, feeling like they're a burden to other people, um, might talk about feelings of empty, hopeless, trapped, not having a reason to go on. Commonly, I hear a lot, I just like to go to sleep and not wake up. 
and uh, being in unbearable emotional or physical pain. And then any changes in behavior you want to look at is anybody making a plan, researching, or plans to die, giving away prized possessions. And a lot of times people will subtly say goodbye. They just don't openly say, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be killing myself soon. So they might also be displaying extreme mood swings, eating or sleeping a lot more or less than usual, and using substances when they don't, they're not normally a substance abuser. Mm -hmm. Anything else you can think about? No, just that there are, you know, we would hope that people would, would speak up when they're feeling this way and just put it out there. I want to comment on some of the things Jody was saying about giving things away, things like that, isolating self more. You know, those are the, the more subtle warning signs that, you know, when someone does complete suicide, you often hear people saying, we, we had no idea. We had no idea that this was going on. But then later you talk to them and they start looking back and they go, oh my gosh, you know, that was really out of the norm for that person. So I think one thing to pay attention to if you are concerned about someone's maybe level of depression is to really start paying attention to the subtleties and noting how far from their baseline that they're really deviating. And, and step in. And so when somebody does step in and, and make a call, tell us about your response team. So we run a mobile crisis response team that covers the entire county of Wood. Um, no rhyme or reason to it. Day, night, we get calls. Uh, sometimes we get four at once. Sometimes we get one every couple of hours. But what this consists of is us responding to wherever that crisis is. Now this could be Wood County Hospital, it could be the police station, it could be a client residence. I've seen people in parking lots at grocery stores. We go to the crisis mm -hmm. and we respond by one, assessing, you know, doing a needs assessment. Let's see what's going on here. We assess the environment, we assess the person, see what level of care they may need at that time. And what's also really cool about how they are doing it is sometimes people don't meet the level of crisis that is hospital appropriate. So the team, even if that person doesn't go to the hospital, their team follows up with them and gets them into regularly scheduled services, which is really that bridge that people sometimes need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great to be, you know, to be, to be seen and, and de-escalate the situation, but then what? Right. Then what happens? Um, we do follow up with every single individual, whether they were safety planned or hospitalized. We have a, a team of individuals that take on each of the roles in terms of what kind of follow-up. Now, forgive me if this is a silly question, but what is the correct terminology? I've heard somebody being pink-slipped before. Mm -hmm. is, is that the terminology it, that's used? Well, interesting. <laughs> so and it is a pink slip. It's, okay. Yes, it's <laughs> literally pink. Um, it's actually an application for involuntary admission, and what that means is, you know, I'm the, the clinician in front of them, I think they're at imminent risk of harm to themselves and or others, or they're not able to care for themselves effectively. So I'm going to write this order for them to go to a hospital for further evaluation and mm -hmm. potentially stabilization. So it is a psychiatrist that makes the determination 
as to whether that person actually gets admitted or not. Okay, so this question is for Jen. When and how can someone get help for themselves or a loved one if they are considering suicide? That's a great question. And I think it's one that, that everyone should know, you know, in every household. Um, because, you know, the current stats are one in five. Uh, I think it's more than that. I think it's two plus in five people um, suffer from, you know, mental health condition or symptoms. So it's, it's fairly easy in Wood County. You know, we have a crisis line number. Um, it's 419-502-4673. And we also now nationally have, instead of 911 for medical, we have 988. And I think that's probably the easiest route to take when, you, when you're talking about within and, and outside of this county. Um, but honestly, you know, a lot has changed over the years. I've spent a lot of time training police officers in mental health. And so they call that crisis intervention training or CIT. And so many, so much has changed with the way things are handled from the criminal, like the criminal justice side or law enforcement side. Um, sometimes I think I'm standing in front of a mental health professional. So that said, it is always okay to reach out and call 911. And you know, when, a, when an officer shows up to someone's home, it's not for any punitive reason, you are not in trouble. It is just reaching out for help, and they certainly know how to reach us. Or, or in another county, they know what mental health agency to reach out to. Um, I think that's the easiest. Is there also a text line that people can, can text if maybe they just they can't even speak or they are Absolutely. catatonic? Or? Yeah. Yep, the text is, you text hello to 741-741. Or if that's too much to take in when you're in crisis, 911. 988, 988. 911. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you are responding to these calls, in your experience, have have most of these people who are calling had some type of interaction with the mental health professional before, or is this a, a brand new thing for them? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a stat nerd. So I look at this stuff, I, I track all of the things that we do, and we are getting a good number of people that have never reached out before reaching out when they never have because you know we need to normalize the conversation about our mental health we need people to know it's okay to talk about 100 percent. okay what if we have a situation where um what should somebody do if a loved one or a friend um, comes to them and they say that i'm feeling suicidal but I do not want you to tell anyone else. What's your advice for that? My, my first, I guess, bit of advice or recommendation would be to encourage the person to talk about this with, with other loved ones or with a professional. That would be my first step. Um, if, if I weren't successful at that, I would let the individual know that, you know, because you care about them, you would rather have them alive than have the friendship. Yeah, nothing's possible if, if people aren't alive. Right. Also, I've had that experience, mm -hmm. and the people typically, once they're um, feeling better, uh, most of the time they don't carry out those threats of, no. I'm, I'm never gonna talk to you again, because no. 
they just don't have the right insight at the time. And, you know, once you get help, you get a little bit better at looking at the whole picture instead of what's yeah. going on right in the moment. Right. I actually had that happen recently yeah. with a friend who called for another friend, and it was, you know, pretty critical. And the one friend, you know, figured out who did it and said all those things, and then immediately after getting out of the hospital was right back and grateful. And after your mobile team shows up, how difficult is it to make an assessment of how serious the the situation is? Well, we have we have a pre-screen tool that is our guide. Okay. Um, most of us have been doing a long time, and it's not like we have to pull that out and read every little question. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are are pretty key things that you that you ask people, and one is, you know, are you thinking about suicide? You know, and and I think it's important to note in in this podcast that that's a really difficult question for a lot of people to ask. In fact, in the trainings I've done, we've we've role played it mm-hmm. because people are really uncomfortable saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is nothing wrong with that question, and you know we don't sugarcoat it. We don't say, "Are you thinking of harming yourself?" Mm-hmm. Because that could mean a lot of things. Um, maybe it could mean they're suicidal. Maybe it could mean other things. Um, but the the exact words are, "Are you thinking about suicide?" Are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, sometimes people need to hear those words. You know, it may be the first time they've ever been asked. And I've had that. I can't tell you how many times I've had that where people go, you're the first person that's ever asked me that. And I've been suicidal since I was, whatever, 15 and they're 40. You know, and no one has ever asked me that question. Yes. You know, because it was never okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think people also, family members might like, what we know as mental health professionals is talking about suicide doesn't cause suicidal thoughts. No. It's asking that question is never going to make somebody mm-hmm. suicidal. And sometimes you just have to be that direct. Well, we're talking about life and death potentially. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, you do. And, and back to, to your other question, Matt, is uh, there are just a range of questions that we ask. And, and you know, we ask about suicidality. We ask about any homicidal thoughts. We ask about non-suicidal self-injury, you know, are they cutting or burning or, you know, all the self-harm things. We also ask about their basic, their ADLs, their, their activities of daily living. Are they showering? Are they sleeping? Are they eating? Let's talk about the relationships in your life. Has there been, a, you know, a change? Has there, been, has there been loss? Has there been a recent death? You know, just trying to get really the full picture. You know, when I go out, I'm, I'm, I'm creating the puzzle pieces, and at the end, I'm going to put it together and send the picture on. Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, do they need some outpatient therapy? Do they need to get connected to a prescriber, or do they need crisis stabilization or the hospital? Is there anything that we didn't ask that you think is important for the listeners to hear? It's okay to not be okay, and there's help for it. Mm-hmm. And the best thing you can do for a loved one that's in crisis is to get help for them. Mm-hmm. If they can't do it themselves, somebody's got to do it. Well, thank you, ladies, um, for 
meeting with us today and thank you for what you both do every single day for the clients and the people in Wood County. Um, it's really appreciated and it's very important work. Thank you. Thank Likewise. You very much. And, and that's going to be it for today. We want to thank our guests again, Mark Phillip, Jody Chapius, and Jen Tucker. Thanks for listening. I am your co-host and producer, Verna Mullins. And I am co-host, producer, and I also made the music for the episode. I'm Matt Russell. The executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer. Feel free to drop us a message at wgte.org slash mental games. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.